Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Welcome back to Tennis Unfiltered with me, James Gray of inews.co.uk and the iNewspapers. A look back at the middle Saturday of uh, Wimbledon, the sixth day of action uh, at SW19. I've got George Belshaw and Calvin Besson with me uh, to help go through the results, the action, the reaction. And George, the the Yannick Sinner versus Alexander Zverev spat, which is it's the fight no one was asking for. But boy, we're glad we've got it. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I can't remember all the quotes on this, but roughly I think Zverev was sort of criticising Wimbledon to, for putting Sinner so kind of uh, prominently on schedules early on. Um, and I think I think Sinner's been on centre or one every time so far. Isn't mm. that right? Um, he certainly has had quite an inflated schedule, in, in fairness to Zverev, um, considering, you know, he's a guy who's only just top 10, wasn't really playing anyone of massive interest and, you know, has only been to one semi-final here before. So did feel a little bit inflated, not to defend Zverev too much. Um, and then I, I think Calvin's ready with the quote that Sinner kind of levelled, volleyed back at Zverev, if you like, last night, which was a, a great line when he was asked about it. Yeah, well, basically Sinner, had said, I think Zverev had said something along the lines of like, I don't get why Sinner's playing on a on, under a roof all the time when there's bigger names such as Berrettini and myself. Like, uh, I mean, you know, Ber- Alexander Zverev has won exactly the same amount of Grand Slams as Yannick Sinner has, or <laughs> for that matter, as I have. Um, so I don't know how he's like considered himself a huge name. Um, but then, Sin- so they asked Sinner about it last night, and Sinner said, like, you know, it's like, all I know is that I'm in the fourth round of Wimbledon and I don't know where he is. Um, <laughs> which, um, um, I, think, 
I think there was a later one where he goes, he's back in Germany, no? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 oh, I mean, I've not seen this side of Yannick Sinner before. I'm, I can't... I mean, if you're getting murks by Yannick Sinner, then it's, 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 not, it's not a great spot, is it? Like, if you're if you're getting out chatted by Yannick Sinner, it's mm. a real low point for Zverev. Yeah, you know, it's probably probably the second lowest point of his life. The first one being pretty bad. Um, yeah, you know, so it's yeah, it's not not a good spot for him at all. Yeah, a bit of sympathy for Alexander Zverev, who tore three ligaments in his ankle last year and then got a knife in his back this year from Yannick Sinner. What a what an eighteen months he's had. Uh, on the court, there's been some pretty uh, exciting action on Saturday, including Alexander Zverev, who was beaten in straight sets by Matteo Berrettini. Um, amazing to see him back and fit and firing, given he walked off court in Stuttgart in tears not that long ago. He's barely played. He's been battling this sort of continual abdominal injury that just won't seem to go away, which is actually something probably we could delve into one day a bit more because a lot of players seem to be having them at the moment. I, My my back of a fag packet theory is it's an overuse injury and players are hitting too many balls, but it's neither here nor there. Um, it sets up a mouth-watering fourth-round clash on Monday with Carlos Alcaraz because he came through quite a challenge against Nicolas Yari, or Jari, I'm not quite sure. He's from Chile, so I'm not actually sure what I'm supposed to say. Anyway, 6-3-6-7, the enormous, and I should say, at one point Jari hit a defensive lob that hit the uh, the rafters of Centre Court's roof. I also thought he might headbutt the rafters of Centre Court at one point, because he is... <laughs> A monster of a man, George, uh, and he—he he looked, he looked better than twenty-five in the world. Put it that way. Yeah, I mean, just on Berrettini's abs. I mean, of all the players have an ab problem, it's hard <laughs> to believe it's him. His abs are <laughs> insane. He's like pure washboard. No problem that I can see with them. Uh, yeah, but really good to see him back. By the way, you know, had some good wins to get to the fourth round, and you know, he's as good a grasp court player as anyone out there at the minute when fit. So that, that'll be a real test. But yeah. I really, really enjoyed this Alcaraz match against Jarry. I thought Jarry played some really, really good stuff. I've I've said a few times before that I think Jarry's a little bit underrated. I think he's quite a difficult opponent, particularly he's actually quite a good clay court player as well as a grass court player. Um, mm. And it, and he showed it. The one deficiency he has, though, which really <laughs> caused him problems, and Alcaraz actually sort of thanked him for this straight away in the uh, kind of post match interview. Um, he misses so many short court forehands. His forehand technique is a bit weird at times. It, it, it kind of goes for it a bit too much, I think. But he shanks some huge moments um, on that forehand, forehand um, kind of in the midcourt and really let Alcaraz off the hook on a few kind of break points or on points where he was facing a break. Um, but I thought, yeah, he, he played a great match. Alcaraz, you could tell how pumped he was at the end of the match. He was kind of roaring in the middle of centre court and I think it was a great match for Alcaraz to A, have early to get his kind of eye in I think sometimes there's a bit of a danger that if you have a really straightforward draw and you turn up against Novak in the final then you're you're buggered really because Mm. the level jumps too much you really need to get that kind of that test early on Um, and B I think it was a really good match for him to announce himself to the British crowd yeah. I, I think they really took to him and, you know, they probably won't have seen, well, they definitely won't have seen that much of Alcaraz before this this two weeks, even though he's been, you know, 
crazy good on the tour winning queens was a great way to kind of get yourself on the radar of the british psyche having a big match that you know lots of people will have been able to watch because it's a saturday you know i had a few people text me like oh this is a brilliant match actually quite a few supporting jerry funnily enough so he won't <laughs> have done his own uh, his own <laughs> um persona any harm uh, via that match um but yeah I, I think it was a really really good match all round and Jerry will regret not taking it to a fifth. Another kind of horrible forehand miss when he was um, on his way to winning that fourth set. So, yeah, very enjoyable. Mm. Um, uh, we should get into the the mention of Nicholas Jerry and uh, Carlos Alcaraz and how famous they are or they aren't. Uh, John Millman was good enough to give us a little bit of content to work with here. Um, I'm just going to get his tweet up because he was... I mean, So I think John Millman must be back in Australia, although I'm not totally sure but equally if even if he is back in australia he may well be getting the same commentary as the bbc because they obviously do the world feed uh, as the host broadcaster uh, john milman said how a commentator can say quote we don't know jarry but we'll get to know him and end quote is beyond ridiculous 87 million people play tennis worldwide and the guy is 28th best at it currently hashtag wimbledon um i uh, I quote retweeted this uh, and, and kind of stand by what I said, which is that, yes, of course, he's 28th best at it, and that's great. He's not a household name. Tennis is a niche sport in the UK because it's not football. It, frankly, it's a niche sport in a lot of countries, and tennis fans have to accept that people generally know like three or four contemporary tennis players. Um, Heather Watson remains the 11th best-known tennis player in the UK. <laughs> Uh, behind like Serena, Venus, Maria Sharapova, and I think Martina Hingis. It, it takes a long time for people to get to know these players because the majority of people don't watch a lot of tennis. Now, a lot of people like, it's unacceptable for a commentator, and I think the commentator was John McEnroe, to not know who he is. And it's like, well, he does know who he is. He's literally been on court with him at Labour Cup. Like, of course he knows who he is, but... He is the turn of phrase is we don't know Jarry George and and people will get to know him. I I, I actually don't think it was McEnroe because McEnroe was saying he'd watched a few of his matches kind of in um, one of the kind of South American clay court tournaments he won earlier this year. So that seems I very think unlikely. It was the Cocom. <laughs> uh, he did say that. <laughs> I watched it. He definitely was talking about it. It was his co-commentator who was kind of saying it. And I, I do think yeah, you're right, James. It was a was to a degree of. Yeah, oh, we won't... It, it was more, I think, more jovial than that, being like, oh, we might not know that much about Jerry now. We're going to find out a lot about him over the... It's just of, typical people yeah, on Twitter uh, being, like, overly literal, as usual. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's the case. And as well, I, I don't I don't really get... why well, they, they often throw this one at McEnroe. And I'm, I, like you, James, I thought, well, surely he's, he's captained him at, um, at Labour Cup. But even, you know, the, the people have this obsession with McEnroe that he doesn't know the... The lower ranked players, but really, is that why they're hiring John McEnroe? Yeah, well, is that why they're hiring him to, to to know the ins and outs of of the challenger players, or are they hiring him because of his of his knowledge about what it's like to play huge matches on the biggest occasion, what it's like to solve problems against the best players, or his tactical insight that he may have, and he does have. John McEnroe's an excellent commentator. He's still the best tennis. I think he's still the best. Um, I don't know whether you call it colour commentator or a play-by-play. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's still the most fascinating one. He's, he's, you know, it's similar, I guess, to Roy Keane 
he's he's not giving you everything what some other people are. You know, he's not giving you what what Petch and Jim Curry has, but he's giving you a different type of thing. He's understanding the mentality uh, that that it is to win at the highest level. But and also like you guys have covered, it's just a turn of phrase. I don't get why why tennis fans in particular, because and a lot of fans are, are really obsessive, and yeah, I guess I'm a tennis fan and I'm quite obsessive about my job. But they get so offended if somebody doesn't know some of the players that that they know intrinsically that it's you know that's okay as long as the the actual comment is good. We don't have to know. What, what Nicholas Jarry's record in 2017 on grass court against one-handed backhands was. <clears throat> I think, um, yeah, McEnroe, like, as you say there, Calvin, the, the thing that sticks out for me with him, actually, in terms of where he can be really incisive was actually Raducanu last year. He, he, he was the first one to stick his neck out and say, I think she's kind of having a, a panic attack sort of thing, or, you know, I think the pressure's just completely got to her. Yeah. And people hammered him. Yeah, he got slaughtered for, yeah, yeah. for that. It was really got, weird absolutely hammered and he was he turned out to be completely right you know it is that experience of playing at the top of the top of the game i'm really not that bothered about john McEnroe running around doing 10 hours of research i want him to call what's happening in that moment as someone who's been there before i like someone to also be there with the stats that kind of bring it to life and say oh yeah this is what nicholas jerry's done and you know kind of making out that this isn't a complete nobody that is important too but for someone like McEnroe, that that's not why you listen to him. And you also listen to him because he's he's engaging. You know, I don't agree with everything he says, but he is fun he's unfiltered, to to. George. He's, he's unfiltered, unlike so many. I'm not going to name names, but I I just I was really losing my head yesterday, James, as you well know, about the Katie Bolter match. Just the unwillingness for people to say, "God, she's had a complete sinker." Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's just pathetic. They're just going on about, oh, Ribakina is playing the match of her life. No one would lay a glove on her. So Bolter has been absolutely rubbish. And I think Katie Bolter's had a good tournament. She's played really, some really good stuff over the grass. But just that unwillingness to call any shot. Oh, that was crap. Or, you know, that was a bit poor. I know they're not going to say crap on the BBC. But I, I, I do think we're crying out sometimes for people like McEnroe just to actually say, this is my honest view, unfiltered, if you like. I think people respond to that and they do like it and they think it's interesting and it makes it interesting. And there are just too many people probably too closely associated with certain players, etc., or too scared or probably not big enough names, to be honest, and kind of think, oh, I don't want to step out of line because, which is no problem for McEnroe because he's such a huge name that he can say whatever he likes and throw his weight around and no one will care. But I, I do think tennis loses something by just this nicey-nicey refusing to hold an honest opinion that people must be sitting at home being like why the hell are they going on about Rimakina when Bolt has been so poor yeah yeah sorry sorry. James well yeah just just briefly and I said this to both of you but you know Anki Othabong was was in the box and Anki Othabong is Katie Bolter's Billie Jean King Cup captain she's not far off a co-coach you know she talks to her a lot she talks to Biliana Katie's coach a lot you know she's kind of in the club and there is an element to which I want her to be on commentary because she can provide insight that no one else can. But also, as you say, George, I think you need a kind of... You almost need her to be, like, sort of courtside so you can just go and ask her questions every now and again. Whereas, yeah, in the box, I think... And it was Sam Smith on CoComs, I think. And, yeah, it was just... Uh, and to quote Stu Fraser, who I know is a listener and is also the, the Times tennis correspondent, he said on, on Twitter this morning that... Some of the BBC's coverage is far too cheerleadery, and and I do get that. 
Um, the, the flip side of it is that the BBC broadcasts to the entire nation. It, it also broadcasts to an older audience who generally sort of wants to, to fly the Union flag and kind of get up for it like that. And I, I think it's safer to be a cheerleader than it is to be a critic. And the BBC, because of its position as a sort of state-funded, licence-fee-funded, but also independent and impartial broadcaster, it, it tends to be safer rather than not. And and that kind of is the inherent problem. I think that's why you end up with what we've ended up with. I, I think there's an element to that, James, but I think the main problem is that the commentators are friends with all the players. Yeah. That, that's, that, that's, that's the main problem, though, and they just don't... And that, whether you accept that and you get, you're, we're not getting an impartiality with the commentary, and I think that is, you know, look, look who they choose to do the commentary. They're not looking for the best commentators. Mm. You know, look, it's, uh, I don't think you know. I found Sky's choice of them commentators coming up pretty, pretty dull. Really, it's pretty standard. You know, there's certain commentators on there who I don't think are very good, but they've just chosen because they tend tennis commentators and they just tend to choose them anyway. Mm. George, I mean. Do you think that tennis coverage should be more punchy? Do you think Tennis Unfiltered has a place in a, a panel <laughs> for any broadcaster who wishes to sign the check? I think if, if Calvin was the equivalent to Roy Key, this podcast would be uh, making headlines every week, to be honest. <laughs> you, know, you do kind of need the weight of the name behind you to a degree. And I, I think that's where it's a little bit disappointing. Um, and I think it's why McEnroe is in such strong supply. Um because if you have a big name who's willing to say things, it gets people talking about the sport. And I always, I, I find it staggering when people are getting upset about certain comments that people make about the sport that are then covered and become people actively talking about it and getting outside of the tennis bubble. That That's exactly the sort of coverage tennis needs. I'm, I'm sorry, like that's the way the world works, that people aren't going to cover someone saying, or well, Katie Bolter was unlucky in that defeat today when she's played like utter rubbish, to be honest. Like, people will cover it if McEnroe goes, Bolter was a disgrace and she'd never wear a, a, a whites again. Like, you know, I, I, I'm joking. <laughs> Not fit to, to wear the shirt. <laughs> but, but you think about like Roy Keane and, that, and generate headlines he kind of generates from this. You know, he'll sit there and he'll, he'll pick out one player like Maguire or De Gea and just be like, you know, I'd drive them out of Manchester myself or something. <laughs> you know, that, that slapped around the internet. And it is a bit over the top. But, but that's entertainment, isn't it? And it's just a bit... It's a bit of fun, isn't it? I mean, are people that It's a bit... I, I mean, I, I don't want to hold Roy Keane up as, like, the sort of <laughs> pundit to end all pundits because I do think he's a little bit performative. Um, <laughs> but I, but he also knows the game. like Like, not just the football game, but the media game, and he knows exactly what he's doing. I, I was talking about Roy Keane last night with a couple of uh, football journalists, actually, who I met in town. Um, and we were saying how, I was saying there now, a lot of Keane stuff is performative, but when he actually gets into the football stuff, he's really interesting. And a lot of people, that the thing what people criticise him for is that, oh, he doesn't ever know anything about tactics, doesn't discuss tactics. That's not his position. His position is, is that unless you have the mentality first, there's no point discussing tactics that you have to implement the player in, in his sport or in any sport. You have to have the mentality of the performer 
before you start getting into tactics and that kind of thing. And I think that's what what Keane's position is, and and it, that's the same in any sport. But yeah, we we don't really have that in tennis, and you know, it doesn't have to be that extreme. Look at cricket. Cricket commentary is great, mm. but they're not just going, oh, that was ev-. you know, not when somebody hits a six. When somebody hits a six, they always go, oh, it's a terrible ball. <laughs> it's like they're not going to get someone who's a six and go, oh, that's a great ball, but he's just hit an unbelievable shot off it, which is what you'd get from the tennis commentators. They'll go, that's a massive six, but geez, that's a full toss. You can't be doing that. Like, you know, tennis wouldn't do that. Tennis commentators would just claim that it was a great shot and a great shot if it hit off it. Hmm. Yeah, I, uh, it's quite hard to hard to disagree with that, to be honest. And tennis says, you know, like we said in the in the group last night that, um, you know, James, you said that individual sports were a lot like that. Cricket kind of is an individual sport as well. It's a, it's a team sport, but also an individual sport. So, you know, it's one man against one man. Really. It's a so. team sport played by individuals. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think probably there was a time when cricket punditry was a bit too nice. And I think there are also people out there, and I'll say it, it's Michael Vaughan, who are performatively, t- performatively critical um, but it yeah. creates headlines, it creates noise, it creates buzz, and you know you need just as you need the nices, even if there are too many of them, you, you also need the you know the critics, and and you know you need light and shade. Um, unfortunately, I think tennis is probably a bit too light at the moment, but um, that's, that's why we're full shade. <laughs> that's that's the new tagline, full shade. Um, anyway. Uh, do, does anyone have any defence of Katie Bolter, by the way? She was beaten 6-1, 6-1 by Elena Rybak in a 58 minutes, I think it was. I mean, my defence is that she's playing someone who's just about five levels better than she is. And that's right. kind of fine. That's kind of fine. Like, But we don't need to run around saying, God, it was an amazing run to get here and no one would have touched Rybak in it. That's not true. Sabalenka would have laid many gloves on Rybakina yesterday. She didn't have to get out of first gear. And Shelby um, Rogers took a set off her. Shelby <laughs> Rogers, yeah. Rybakina, you know, that was her best performance, but she didn't have to work for it. I mean, come on. It was mm. 50, any, any player who loses two sets in 57 minutes has played badly. I don't care how well the other players played at the other don't end. Don't care done enough are. to ups- Yeah, they've not done enough to upset the rhythm. They've not done enough to try different things. You couldn't look at that match from Bolter and say... She tried to be really creative to get out of a problem. She didn't execute her shots well enough, and she didn't really try and get in Rybakina's face. Like Bolter, you know, even the players are too nice to be honest. Bolter needs to make that an absolute scrap. I, I, if I was her, I'd be like barging past Rybakina on the change of ends, sticking my shoulder in, you know, anything to ruffle her. I know people probably would get very upset about that, but I do think there is a tendency to just be like nice and respectful. And you know, leave it all out there. But you've not left it all out there, have you? You know, you've not really, mm. really done Re- anything. Riyath Al Samurai wrote a really good column in the Mail on Sunday today about uh, shithousery and and the. Uh, I know I know that his colleague Mike Dixon loves it when we talk about shithousery, <laughs> uh, and it's true. Uh, tennis needs more of it. That uh, you know, love or hate Nick Kyrgios, and I know plenty. I actually met a listener the other day who told me how much he wasn't that bothered that Nick Kyrgios wasn't at Wimbledon. But people talk about him. I tell you what, he's a lot worse than Nicholas Yarry in terms of world ranking, but people know his name. <laughs> I, I I think about kind of uh, Emmy Martinez at the World Cup as well. Like yeah. people were getting very upset about him dancing around before penalties, but the bloke saves a lot of penalties. Like he you're does of course, what it t- takes You're totally to impartial here, George, right? 
on Emma oh yeah Martinez. no but I well I think he, he is a bit of a shit house. I mean, you know I love shit houses anyway, James. So <laughs> like the, regardless of whether they play for my beloved football team or not, but but the but the stats don't lie as well. The guy upsets people and doesn't care. He's upsetting people. He'll do anything to win. It matters to him more than anything. That's not the case with so many tennis players. I don't think like and I think Bolter is a good player. I do genuinely. I, I feel like I'm being a bit harsh on her here because you know she's just lost to the defending champion. You know, no one's expecting her to win that match. But I do think she could have made it a much better match, A, if she'd played better, but B, but I just, I don't know. I, I just feel there's so much more tennis players who aren't as good as the best players can do. They're just afraid to because we've been lulled into this, oh, it's a gentleman's game. The most important thing is to show respect. Is it? Fuck. Come <laughs> on. Like, the most important thing is to bloody win. Try and win. Do something different. Be an ass. No one will, no one will care. George, so first much. comes joy. <laughs> this is the important thing. You get more joy out of winning than <laughs> going home. Who is... Going home, sh- apologising to the crowd, which you seem to be doing as well. Which, yeah. Who's the greatest shithouse in the history of tennis? And why is it Yelena Ostapenko? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I'm trying to think of someone who was like... I mean... Uh, I can't even really think of someone who took it to that same level. But she's got to be up there. Um, a few yeah, other Con- Connors Con- and McEnroe, you know, back in the day, they used to just yap at each other all all match yeah. long, and that was that was great viewing. And no no one looks back and been like, they're a disgrace. They should never play tennis. You know, at the time, I'm sure people were being a bit over the top about it. But you know, they're, they're two of the greatest players to have played the game. And they look back on, and it was fondly. front and back. And they page. were winners. It was front and back page news, which you know, it's not necessarily front and back page news these days barely back page news um uh, other things to mention uh there was more scheduling chaos on center court today when uh on saturday i should say yes two women's matches and a men's match on center and they only snuck home before 11 o'clock because it was so one-sided between bolter and rebackina we've got a roof on center court and yet it still takes nearly an hour to between them coming off and them starting again it happened during Djokovic's first round match, they were off for 88 minutes. Jabor and Andrescu were off for 50 minutes. Uh, they came back at 2-3 in the third and Ons Jabor hung on. But Bianca Andrescu absolutely gifted her a break in the third set. But um, I just I said this again on Twitter, which is just where I live these days. They're on threads. I'm on threads as well. Are you on threads? George, are you on threads? Not yet. Oh, we'll um, no, there, I, I'm sort of reluctant to take on any more social media, but if I have to do it for the podcast, James, I'll do it. Oh, there it is. A commitment so at noble last like that. from the man on the <laughs> fence. Um, okay. Just on or... the Jabor Andreescu match, there was a, another great moment in that, which I don't, you may have missed if you weren't watching that closely, but sort of talking about challenging. Mm. I mean, Andreescu uh, hit a shot that looked really close and Jabor was like it's not worth challenging and Andreescu withdrew her challenge and the ball was in like I don't <laughs> think Jabor would have done it maliciously but that is you know that is great fun like I really hope that's on Jabor being a shithouse it's of course not but like <laughs> it, it, because of who she is but it would be really funny um a really good match though and like you know two quite contrasting mm. styles two real personalities on the court and off the court I know Netflix have been following Bianca Andreescu this fortnight, so they will have had a lot of fun with that. Um, I don't know, Calvin, I know you, you're convinced Ons is never going to win a Grand Slam, but I feel like I would happily watch Ons Bianca Andreescu in a Grand Slam semi-final, and that, that would be pretty good for everyone involved. 
Yeah, I mean, I watched the uh, quite a bit of that the third set last night, um, and when I was I was in a pub actually watching it, and it was astonishing the game that Andrescu threw away. Yeah, I think she missed. I think it went after after sort of two hours tennis in real high level tennis. It got to the four all in the third, and she went first ball error, second ball error, double fault, first ball error. Hmm. And it was just astonishing how bad it was, and I bet she'll be absolutely fuming with herself. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, I've watched that match plenty of times. Um, yeah. I still don't think I will win a Grand Slam. But she'll provide it. It wasn't the most Yeah, it it wasn't the most astonishing error of the day, was it? Though I mean that that was a natural segue <laughs> to David. Alejandro Davidovich takes the award for error of the tournament <laughs> century. I mean, to be honest, it's probably not even in the top three Alejandro Davidovich Fakina horrendous brain farts. But an underarm serve at eight all in a match tiebreak against Holger Rune, I mean, it's pretty up there. He said afterwards, I didn't know what I was doing. I shit myself. <laughs> and I have to accept, <laughs> I didn't want to play the point like that. Um, I mean, Calvin, he has shat himself there. There's no other word for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I, I do say a lot of the time that when when you see people going for drop shots at the end of the match, it's because they're they're bottling it. Um, and I mean that was that was one hell of. The thing was, he wasn't really in trouble on his serve. I think no. he lost one point in serving the tie break, but you know, like eight all, it was unbelievable, and it was also such a terrible one. That's the <laughs> thing, and terrible one, and he followed it in. <laughs> like, like what, what, what do you think was going to happen? Yeah, like, probably, he probably. There's a chance that if he stays back, he still gets a good hit on the pass because he's still like Rooney's still having to pick a low ball up. Mm. Like, but you know, I'm sure Rooney in his own mind justified it as his magnificence won in the match. But <laughs> to, to be fair I to mean, Holger Rooney, he did. <laughs> He did say afterwards, like, oh, I was pretty delighted he did that because he's been serving really well. He <laughs> <laughs> um, just had the feeling of, I mean, I didn't see, I was following the score, but I didn't see what happened, but it, it had the feeling that it was going that way. Because I think it was, forgive, they were forgetting like 5-1 up or 6-1 up in the breaker. It was 8-5 up as well. Yeah, but but even when it got to 8-5, it was back to one break, wasn't it? He'd like, yeah. he'd, he'd, but he was serving well. Have, yeah, he'd had this long, this big lead though, and the lead had been cut, and you know it was always back on serve. But dear me, that was that was one of the worst I've ever seen. <laughs> like, uh, like on a grass court, you got to get it a bit more on the clay because you're thinking like well, we're probably not getting much purchase from a serve anyway. But I'll try, I'll, I'll try it out. But throw the ball up, or even then, like you know, throw the ball up and just have a crank it, <laughs> like. That was garbage, absolute garbage. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm quite glad it was quite so dramatic because some friends of mine were in yesterday and I said, oh, go watch Holger Rune against David Shakina. Like, Rune will probably beat him, but it'll it'll probably be a decent, fun match. Um, and, and needless to say, it absolutely delivered. was delivered on, on every level. Um, right, before we go, we have to, uh, for, for once we can do this live rather than in our WhatsApp group, uh, which is our predictions. We do four match predictions per day. Uh, and basically what happens is Calvin and I guess, and then George gets it right. So um, <laughs> the, the yeah, score... I, I, still you're going to jinx me now. I still don't know George is above me because one of the days I was above him and I got every one of them right and George didn't and he overtook me. 
I, well, I don't do. I don't make the rules. It's well, the I dark mean, cards. I'll do anything uh, to win, Calvin. I'll do anything to win. It was the day when when you all picked. I was in the lead, and you all picked um, Rune to beat Broads, and I picked Broads, and I got the others right as well. And then George overtook me. I think I was ahead before that. I think I was thirty. Yeah, basically, it was that. day two. George got four out of four, all the scores right. And it really it, right. it made a. I just I just right. haven't been updating you on the scores that regularly. I've, I've got an issue with the system as well. Um, <laughs> right. I, I actually if, don't know what the system is. I'm just no, giving the scores if, every day. If, hopefully, if say that you pick a player to win and they lose in five, yeah, I I think that you should get something there. <laughs> I mean, I also think that, but it's not the rules. So. Yeah, because that yeah, that's like if you pick like an underdog and they you know you pick them to win and they just lose in five. I think that's you should get a bit of a like a bonus point there or something. All like right, the, okay. Yeah. We, we can introduce that. that, that sounds next year. sounds like we're rewarding losers too much there, Calvin. Which is surprising. <laughs> <your support voting. laughs> well, I'm, right. I'm, I'm hoping to become a tennis commentator, so I'm just giving credit <laughs> to everybody. Uh, right, well, so what we're going to do today is we're going to do all of centre and uh, one other of my choosing, uh, specifically one of the other women's matches. But uh, an interesting thing about centre on Sunday, by the way, is it features five Slavs, which is the technical term for someone from a nation speaking a Slavic language, um, which spans kind of from sort of old Yugoslavia, the Balkans, to uh, to sort of Russia. Five Slavs and Belinda Bencic, who is Swiss, but whose father... This family emigrated from Czechoslovakia. So just a bit of a... I wrote something today for the eye about how that's a, a little bit of a sign of the shift in power to Eastern Europe. I say shift. I mean, it's basically always been that way. Anyway, so what we've got on centre is Rublev Bublik, Svontek Bencic and Herkac Djokovic. Uh, we'll also look at Azarenka Svitolina. We'll start with Rublev Bublik, a rerun of the Halla final, which, uh, as a hint, Bublik won. Does anyone think that Bublik can win again? Ooh. I think really he can. I think he can. I think he can, but I think Rublev will win in four. George? I, yeah, I'll be stunned if it doesn't go four or five. Um, yeah, I might go Rublev in five. Wow. I'm actually going to go Rublev in three, partly because I need to say something different because I'm bloody miles behind. Uh, and also just because surely, surely Sasha Bublik is just due a meltdown like that. That surely is about to happen. Uh, next on centre is Iga Svantec against Belinda Bencic, who came in with no sort of form and well, literally because she hadn't played a match since the French Open. She hasn't she hadn't won a match in about two months, but she has made it to the fourth round. Um, I, I suspect we might be across the board here with the same result, but uh, I'm going to pick Svantec in two. Yeah, same. Um, yeah, just for, uh, for further notice, if, if, unless she's playing Rybakina, my answer is always from taking two. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I can make some notes in advance, then that's uh, that's ideal. Uh, and finally, uh, good day if you're Polish and you've got centre court tickets. Hubert Herkacz, or as he was called by Jerry Armstrong at the draw, and it remains my favourite, Herbert Herkacz uh, against <laughs> Novak Djokovic. I uh, who went first? Like, oh, Calvin, you've got to go first this time. Um, that is Djokovic in four, I think. George, yeah, I was I was kind of eyeing that as well. It's it's Djokovic three or four for me. I don't see it going five. Um, I'll go Djokovic three. He seems to be playing really well. 
Djokovic in three. I've just remembered something there actually. That George, I meant to comment on earlier that George said there was there's no better player on grass than uh, Matteo Berrettini. Right? None? <laughs> no, I didn't say that. Uh, you definitely not did. many. No, you said there's none better. James well, that, that, will see when it's running. He's brought back. That was a slip then. Yeah. <laughs> I think Jock Rich is definitely better than yeah, there. Yeah. Calvin, you spent said, too much time on Twitter many. with the overly literal. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I'm, go- I'm yeah. going Djokovic in three, by the way. But much as I really like Herbert Hercatch, and uh, <laughs> I, think he's a, I think he's a really good player, and I think his game is very well suited to grass. I just think Djokovic is the best returner of all time, and it doesn't matter if he's got a big serve. Uh, right, and finally, uh, one of the matches of the day, but it's over on number one court. Victoria Azarenka against Alina Svitolina. Uh, Ukraine against Belarus. Uh, George, you have to go first here. Mm, I think it's going three. I, part of me wants to pick uh, Svitolina because I'm really annoyed I didn't pick her in fantasy. I'm, I'm still kicking myself about that, and she's killing me basically yeah yeah um, she's basically keeping my team afloat with a katarina alexandrova but I, I i actually have a bit of a leaning i think azarenka might win um i don't know why but i'm gonna go azarenka in three so svitolina can kill me in this and in fantasy <laughs> uh, i'm tempted by the emotional hedge of uh of picking azarenka because i do have svitolina uh i i i just think maybe a bridge too far for svitolina just she's played well, but I don't know. I I, I can't pick it, so I'm going to pick Azarenka. But I really have no logical justification for that. Calvin, is that two or three, James? Oh, in three, sorry. Yeah, close. I'm taking Svitolina in three, actually. Oh, there we go. The advantage of picking last, you see, is you can go on the uh, differential as well. So it's only an advantage if we've got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, just to note from yesterday that two of our four matches that we had yesterday didn't get played or finished at least uh jabur andrescu did uh george you had jabur in three so you picked up three points there calvin had andrescu in three so got no points sorry no bonus point for getting close <laughs> um and i had jabur in two so picked up a point and runa uh none of us had runa in five we all picked runa but in four or three so a point each um in case you've forgotten george and i have picked andreva and calvin's got potapova in two so uh, interesting to see how that could be a big swing. And uh, Grigor Dimitrov is two sets up on Francis Tiafo, and I'm the only one who's picked him. So uh, I'm I'm feeling I might did be you, able to claw something. Did you pick him back. in three? No, I picked or him four. in four. I think you've got uh, a good chance there. Yeah. yeah. I, Obviously got a good chance there, but... I've know, got a better four, chance than you right. two. Uh, I mean, you, you, yeah. George, you are wrong, because you had Tiafo yeah, he can't win in four. But so. Calvin does have Tiafo um, in five. Um, on, on those two little... Little snippet for you. I was talking to the hitters at Wimbledon the other day, and they said one of those two was the biggest arsehole in the tournament who they picked. It. <laughs> and it's not difficult to work out which one of them isn't an arsehole. <laughs> oh, excellent. That's a shame. I interviewed him the other day. He came across quite well. But, but you know, that, that's, that was 10 minutes in a small room. Yeah. Uh, and, and we didn't even get to eat the pizza. Anyway, I think that's all we've got time for for today. We'll be back, of course, tomorrow or, well, you know, days don't really matter at this point. But we will look back at Sunday at some point and Monday and all the rest. Uh, please do follow us on Twitter, Unfiltered Tennis. Uh, email us a, t- a question if you've got one, tennisunfiltered at gmail.com. Find us on threads. George hasn't created the account yet, but he's going to. Uh, and most <laughs> importantly, please do come back next time. Five, four, three, two, one.
Social Podcast Network. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit.